And you may be seated. Well, as I said earlier after that little video, uh, we all can't raise professional ball players, but we all can influence the children in our world in their relationship with God. I mean, you know, God has a plan for every person that's born. There's no throwaways with God. There's no accidents with God. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And perhaps the greatest thing that I can do as a dad, you that are moms, we celebrate you today, but how about coaches? How about teachers? How about the person that just takes time for the kids in the neighborhood? How about for the aunt or the uncle? Uh, you may not see your, 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 cousin or your nephews or your nieces once a year or something, but how many know we can pray for them every day, the gifts we give them, the things that we say to them? We can all influence the life of a young person in their relationship with God. If you happen to be a young person, I suggest to you, you can influence your peers in their steps towards Christ. This is what I want to talk about this morning. I've entitled this morning's uh, message, A Parent's Job Description. And there's a lot of things that parents do, but the most important things that we do are to shape the spiritual life of our children. Shape the spiritual life, the teacher in the classroom, the coach on the ball field. I mean, there's something more important than the ball game score. I mean, there's something more important than the trophy, but it's that eternal relationship with God that a person can, can have that you and I can be a part of. And this morning, I want to talk about three things in that job description, three ways that I can influence a young person. The first one is I want to influence that young person to know God, number one. Number two, I want to influence them to know the Bible and have me know there's a difference, to know God's Word. And number three, I want to influence them or show them how to know God's purpose for their life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. But uh, as I was looking at the moms, I, I, I looked at several came in this morning, and one had four kids, and I thought, my, 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 how in the world does she do it? Uh, we spaced ours out pretty good. We've got three, and you had a little time, but I mean, no, if you've got one that's in the, the, the little carrier, if you've got one that's about two, if you've got a four-year-old helper and a six-year-old helper, well, how many know you got your hands pretty full? I mean, you got diapers to change, you got ball games to go to, T-ball, you've got homework to help with, you've got meals to cook, you've got everything under the sun to do. And uh, I read a funny story this week before we get in the Bible, and it was about a, a mom that had three kids, three little boys, don't you think about this, five, seven, and nine. So they're all full of energy, boys are all full of life, and they're playing in the backyard, and they're playing cops and robbers. And uh, mom gets to, uh, elected to be the robber, and one of the little boys jumps out from behind the hedge, and he goes, bang, bang, you're dead. And she falls down, and the neighbors next door, too, are kind of looking through the fence, and he's smiling, you know, the love that this mom has. But then he gets a little concerned because the mom doesn't get up. And uh, he gets through the fence, walks over to the gate, and runs next to her and gets down on one knee, and all of a sudden she opens one of her eyes, and she, she says, shh, it's the only rest I've got today. <laughs> Let's look in the Bible together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The first thing you can do if you want to put on your job description is to help your child know God. And can I begin by saying there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God? I'm grateful my mom made me go to church, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? Going to church can expose you to the things about God, but knowing God is an issue of the heart. It's a decision no one can make for another, but yet it's a decision we can influence in young people's lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, the great apostle, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's responsible for every Christian that was not a Jew. I mean, no, that's us. 
God used him to plant churches throughout the Mediterranean world. He would follow up in these churches. He would appoint leaders. He was one of the greatest men that ever walked the earth in terms of someone that's made an impact for, for, for God. But he had a successor. And this young man's name was Timothy. And we're going to look at several scriptures this morning that was written to Timothy because this first idea, how a mom can help her child know God, is in this verse. And Paul told his son of the faith, Timothy, he said, I am reminded of your sincere or your genuine faith, which, say this with me, first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it lives also in you. So what's he saying? They were raised in a Jewish context, but somehow they had come to faith in Christ. But it didn't start by Paul talking to Timothy. It started by Lois and Eunice, a mom and a grandmother, influencing the spiritual life of a child, teaching that child what it means to not just know about God, but to know God. And you will see, if I could read Philippians 2.19, Paul was able to shape this young man that mom and grandma had nurtured in God. But he said in, to, the, to the church in Philippi, he said, I want to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. He said, I have no one else like Timothy. Now, there were probably thousands of Christians, tens of thousands of Christians at the time, but somehow this one young man rose to the top. He was the cream of the crop, and Paul couldn't take credit for it. He looked back to his mother and looked back for his grandmother and said, the spiritual training, the development that you gave this child enabled him to be my partner. He went on to say, you know how Timothy has proved himself like a father with a son. He served with me in preaching the good news. And that's an aspiration all of us should strive towards, whether you're a baseball coach, whether you are a teacher at school, a mom, whether you're raising someone else's kids. How many know that child has the potential to make a difference in the world for Christ? Let me tell you just a couple things from a pastor's heart about how we can help our children know God, what I can do to help them have relationship with God. And the first one, which is very important, it is to be an example of my faith at home. Simply that I live out my Christian faith, not just on Sunday morning, but I live it out when I'm at home. Come on now, when I'm washing the clothes, whatever I'm doing in my life, because how many know it's monkey see, monkey do? You've heard people say, oh, that little baby, they look just like you. I mean, he, he, okay, ladies, from a guy's perspective, you get a bunch of ladies together, and this little child is, you know, two months old or something like that, uh, uh, three months old. She looks just like her mama, doesn't she? Just come in, just look at this baby looks just like her mama. Nah, come on. Maybe she does. I can't tell. But I can tell when they're older if they act like their mom and act like their dad. See, if you are used to having fried preacher for lunch on Sunday... It'll, it'll get to you. How many know your kids will develop the same appetite? But if your kids watch you, uh, if someone pulls in front of you and you wave at them with your middle finger, how many know you've just taught your child? But if somebody pulls in front of you and you say, hey, man, God bless you anyway. I guess you got somewhere to be quicker than me. They pick up our responses. And I say this because it is vital that I, I recognize that the greatest sermon my child will ever hear is not the one that will be behind this pulpit, but it's behind the pulpit that you live in every day of your life. They watch you, not only the good things that you do when you read your Bible, when you pray, when you help the poor, but your kids are watching you when you mess up. 
how to make amends, how to confess our faults, how to ask forgiveness, you literally have the greatest option, opportunity to point your kids to Christ by the way that you live. Now, here's a second one, the way that you can help your kids know God. And this is kind of an, uh, an obvious one, but I'm going to say it anyway. Raise them in church. Raise them in church. It is the only spiritual environment in our culture today. I want you to think about this. When I, now, I just turned 60. I know I don't look at it. Thank you for saying that. But when I was a boy, I can remember being in the first grade, uh, my principal, Theron Long, he would come on the intercom every morning, and guess what he would read to us? He'd read the Bible. Now, you would think in modern America today that that was akin to, to putting poison gas in a room. <laughs> but he'd read the Bible, and we would pray every day. I remember I was in that first grade class when John Kennedy was assassinated, our president. And I can remember our school and our classroom praying for our president and his family. That's missing in America today. Today, I haven't even talked to a mom in the first service. She said, yeah, my husband had to take my kid to a baseball tournament today. Now, look, it's Sunday, right? But it's Mother's Day. But it's almost like none of that matters anymore. What matters is whatever it may be. And listen, I love sports. I took my kids to sports. We even let them go on Sundays. But I'm telling you that there's a competition for spirituality in America today. There's a competition for the time that you take. These little posters that these kids had, I love my mom. Uh, I've got one in my Bible. It's actually a bookmark that my daughter Rebecca made probably when she was maybe five. But uh, it was on Father's Day, and it said, World's Greatest Dad. And then she wrote, It is true, T-R-U-E. No, T-U-R-E, it is true. And then she had a picture on the back of mommy and daddy and brother and sister and the dog and the cat. And we're all smiling and I laminated it and put it in my Bible. It's right there keeping track. And it brings a warm feeling to my heart. And that's important. But listen, what is more important is what our kids are learning at home about God, what we're teaching them with you in Sunday school, on Wednesday night in JBQ, getting your kids to the powerhouse, getting them connected there, because it is the only support group in our culture today. It's missing anywhere else. And I promise you, it will make a difference what you sow in their lives. Here's another one, and I'll suggest this is probably the most important of all the points of how you can help your child know God. And it's this, to help teach them how to have a daily time with God. And we, it's called a quiet time, a devotion time. But every day of my life, I may miss one every once in a while, but most every day of my life, I'm going to spend some time in the morning and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. Well, guess what? Your child needs to develop that same habit. Uh, I can remember we taught our kids to read the Bible uh, when they were learning to read. And it was both joyful and arduous. We got the little kid's Bible, and it might say on one whole page, and Jesus and the little sheep around him, Jesus loves me. And I'll tell you what, it could take five minutes to read Jesus loves me. Anyone ever been there? When you're sounding it out with phonics, G, what's that? What's that? J, J, Daddy. I know, J, Daddy. E, G, E, G, G. Come on, you got it. Come on. G, Jesus. You know who that is? Jesus. And it's almost like you clap. And the next word, L, I don't know, Daddy. Well, it means what mommy and daddy feel about you. Lo loves. I know that one. Me. And I'm going like, oh, God. Okay. It's good, but it's hard. But before you know it, you read one line, and then they read one line. And then you read one, and they read two. You read a paragraph, they read a paragraph, and before you know it, you say, Honey, it's time to go to bed. I want you to go read your Bible now. Yes, Daddy. I'll tell you, friend, you are teaching your child 
fit, you are teaching your child to have relationship with God and it'll have the greatest impact for the rest of their days. Let me give you another one I think is important. You want to explain your actions with Scripture. The reason I say that is because kids need to understand why we do what we do. If I take a, a, a name off the angel tree at Christmas time, it's more than just a warm feeling I want my kid to know. I want them to know the scripture, for example, in, in Proverbs. It said, if I, if I lend to the poor, I'm lending to the Lord, and God will repay me back for what I do. I want my kids to understand. Whenever I would, would, would my kids were little and I would get, write my tithe, uh, my kid would look at that, you know, I mean, making a dollar, a dollar a week from an allowance, and a tithe for their tithe was 10 cents. Mine was a lot more, and they'd say, wow, that's a lot of money. I'd say, it is, honey, but the Bible says our tithe belongs to the Lord. See, the Bible says this is our covenant with God, and all the good things God gives us, it's because we're in relationship with Him. So your kids need to understand that because the world will not support their thinking today. Actually, when your kids go to college, I talked to someone recently, and uh, their kid was going to college, and in their introduction, in their indoctrination, they were literally trying to undermine virtually everything that we stood for as Christian people. One of our kids, uh, Bethany, when she was going to college, she wanted to get in the honors college, and she had all the, the, the educational criteria, and she just didn't make it in. And after we listened to the day after having been there, we realized the, the professor, the head of the program, said up front, he said, listen, we want to make your child question everything they've ever been taught. And then we want them to figure out for themselves about life and what this is and what that is. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want someone to undermine my child's faith in God. You, you can challenge a lot about my life because not everything about my life is right. But I don't want anybody shaping of an impressionable child and telling them there is no God. Come on now, it's hard enough to watch the monkey turn into a, a, a man. It's hard enough to watch an amoeba turn into a man. But when someone tries to take away that from your child, our kids need to understand that the, what we believe and what we do is not only biblically rooted, but there is an intelligence behind the Christian faith that there are educated people that believe in an intelligent designer. Come on now. They're intelligent people. They're scientists that don't believe that the world just evolved out of nothing, that a Big Bang produced everything, that there was a creator. Genesis 1-1 is true. Some of the smartest people on the planet, listen, are Christian people. They believe in God. They believe in the Scripture. And what we believe, come on, is rational, it's reasonable, and we believe it, come on, because it is indeed the Word of God. I want someone, and I want to explain the Scripture to my kids. And lastly, if you want your kids to know God, I mean, that we need to be an example. We want to raise them in God's house. We want to teach them how to have a daily time with God. We want to explain our actions to them with Scripture, but we also want to foster relationship with spiritual people in their lives. Now, what I mean by that is I wanted my kids to have a Christian aunt and uncle other than just my brother and sister. We would have missionaries come in, and two of our missionaries, Larry and Mary Lou Myers, they became Aunt Larry and Uncle Mary Lou. Uncle Larry and Aunt Mary Lou. All right, my wife was gone for a week, all right? I'm just, I'm, I'm a little basket case here. And you say, well, why would you do that? Well, your kid's going to get old enough one day where they're going to have some issues to talk about and they're not comfortable talking to you. They need someone, they need a peer. One of the greatest things I think our kids do in elementary, junior high, high and high school is we have kids that are a, a couple grades older in there mentoring those younger kids. 
I want my kids, if my kid's in junior high, I want them to see a high schooler that's in love with Jesus. I want them to see, a, if I've got a high schooler, I want her to see that it's a college-age kid that's in love with God, that's not giving in to the pressures of the world. I want my kid to have somebody that they can Instagram or whatever that I can't figure out and don't know how to do, that my kid knows how to do. I want them to have a connection with other Christian people. I'll tell you, friends, it'll help in their relationship with God. And that's the first thing I want my kids to know. And I want to develop one of these points a little further for the second one. I want to help my child know God's Word. If I own my spiritual job description, I'm suggesting the first point is to help them know God. Number two, help them know God's Word, the Bible. And number three, help them, have a, help them find their purpose that God's created them. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, helping my child know God's Word. Again, Paul writing to Timothy, reminding us of his parents. And he said this, you should continue following the teachings that you learned. You know they're true because you trust those that taught you. And notice what he said. Say this with me. Since you were a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Let's say that again. Since you were a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And these Scriptures are able to make you what? Wise. Do you know it's a lot of foolish people that are in the world that are trying to teach your kids? Do you know that the people that are designing the cartoons on Disney today are trying to teach your kids, and in many cases, something that's ungodly? You know, the people that are behind music in the music industry, do you know the people that are behind the, most of the movies that come out of Hollywood, you know they're not trying to steer your child in the right way, but the wrong way? You know, if, you're, if your kids are in a secular uh, education environment, there is much and much that's said and much that goes on there that's against the teaching of God's Word. They will tell you things about morality. Listen, you will talk to people that may have a multitude of letters behind their name, but how many know just because you've gone to college doesn't make you an educated person? If, you, if your starting place is there is no God, how many know at some point the whole superstructure of your knowledge is going to fall over because it's built on falsehood? In our world today, kids are taught, and it's being pushed on us real strongly today, is kids are taught that you get to figure out your gender. You're not who you were, cre you were created at birth to be. You are whoever you want to be. And Facebook will give you dozens of options beyond just identifying as a male or a female. But how many of the Bible teaches us that God created them? Genesis 2, in the beginning, God created them male and female. Can you say God didn't make a mistake when he created me? Well, how am I, how are my kids going to know? How are they going to understand right and wrong apart from God's word? And how will they know God's Word unless someone is deliberately teaching them that it's true? You know, uh, I, I just read just, uh, oh, last night I was reading a story about a Gideon that was a substitute teacher. He was in school, and a kid, uh, he, he, I don't know, he said something to a kid, something about the last one coming out the door. And he said something like, yeah, the first will be last and the last will be first. And the kid said, uh, just in conversation, the kid said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, it's, it's, it's a Bible verse. It's something Jesus said. And the little boy got to talk to him asking questions. And before he knew it, the little child said, can I have a Bible? He gives him a Bible. And as soon as the school finds out, he gets fired. And it takes a Christian attorney, the Liberty Institute, it takes them to sue the school so the man can have freedom and so the child can have freedom. You understand, we live in, a, a, in an environment that's hostile to religion and it was never our founder's intent. The whole concept of separation of church and state as we understand it today is not a historical concept. 
It was jerked out of context. It was written actually by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association, and it was written to let be remind them that the government will never impose its will on the church, that the government will never tell Christian people how to live. Our First Amendment they gave to protect us was the freedom to practice our religion, not just here on Sunday morning, but in our world wherever we go. See, this is the context we live in, but we have a world that's spinning us in the, in the wrong direction. Kids need to know and learn the Bible. The, this Old Testament concept supports this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy said, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. You must love the Lord with all your heart and commit to these commandments. This is Moses talking to Israel. And someone just say verse 7 with me. Repeat them again and again to your children. Well, let's say it again. Repeat them again and again to your children. You're writing on the tablet of their heart. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, well, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. You say, well, I mean, doesn't that make me a Jesus freak? Well, yes. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It makes me a follower of Christ because I'm, not trying, to, because I'm trying to instill the Word of God in my kids. Now listen, Christian, Christians should be some of the most normal and healthy people on earth. We should have great marriages, great families. We should have great jobs. We should prosper. We should go on vacations, have fun, play ball, and play sports and turkey hunt. <laughs> but in all of that, the most important thing is we should be grounded in God's Word. And that's what we should do with our kids. Let, let me just linger just a moment. Why is reading the Bible and learning it so important for a child? Let me tell you two things. Number one, it is the main way God will speak to them throughout their life. The Scripture says, how can a young person live a pure life? Well, the Scripture says, by obeying God's Word. If you put God's Word in your child's heart, when they're at school and they've got their little phone and they've snuck it out during test time, it's got to be easy to cheat today. <laughs> it was a little harder in my day. And somebody asked them for an answer isn't it good if there's a little Geiger counter going off inside that talks about, uh, about being honest rather than stealing? When pornography pops up, when the temptation to lie is there, isn't it, 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 don't you think it's going to be helpful if God's Word is hidden in the hearts of our kids? My little girl, Rebecca, my youngest, was 13 when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And our kids all handled it differently. Bethany, my oldest daughter, she was at college, and I told her on the phone, and, and we both started boo-hooing. I mean, just broke down. And, and Rebecca kind of closed off a little bit. And later on, when she got a little older, she gave her testimony of, 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 a, of a private, dark time that she had in her life. But she said, I was kind of questioning God, and I asked God, why did you do this to my mom? My mom goes on mission trips. She helps so many people. Why does she get cancer and not somebody else? Nobody knew what's going on in her head. She kind of closed herself off. But she said one day, her testimony is, I was at home in bed, and I was just struggling with God, and I picked up my Bible. She didn't say I turned on Netflix. She'd been watching Netflix. I picked up my Bible, and she said, I started reading in the Psalms. And it was just like God was talking to me. She said, at first I questioned God, and after I read, it was like God was talking to me through the Bible. And I no longer questioned God. I no longer had a fear about tomorrow. I had a confidence that God was going to be with my mom and God was going to be with me. And somehow everything was going to be all right in this because God is still a good God. Can I tell you, friend, she knew to turn there. 
because we had made it a point to establish the Bible, come on, in her life. Let me give you a second reason, and it's big in our culture today. Our kids need to learn the Bible. They need to know it so they'll know the difference between right and wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a foreign concept to many. But the Bible says, again, Paul to Timothy, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures. Thank you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our life. Right and wrong, the source of it is the Bible. Uh, Recently, there was a survey done by Lifeway Research of 1,000 people, and they interviewed people that were 45 and older, and they found the majority of these people believed in the concept of absolute truth. They believed that right and wrong was not individually determined, but there was there were a, a standard of right and wrong that applied to everybody. But they also did the same survey, and they asked the same question to people under 35, and it was the exact opposite. The younger you were, the more likely you would have believed that there's no such thing as absolute right and wrong. You see, because they've been raised in a culture that says everybody gets to decide, come on, whether something's right, whether something's wrong, whether uh, whatever my gender is, I get to decide and nobody has the right to tell me what to do. It's the world that they're raised in. Let me show, illustrate this further. How many have heard a sermon from Billy Graham? Would you raise your hand? Now look around right now. You know what you'll find out about these people? Virtually all of them are over 40. Some of you are under 40 and have heard about him. But most are over 40. You know what Billy, what Billy Graham has been called? Now, he's, he's pushing 100. He's not in the public life anymore. But Billy Graham was called America's pastor. Billy Graham has met with every president in my lifetime. Every president that I'm aware of, or most of them anyway, at least while he was younger, would consult with Billy Graham on matters of moral issues because our culture had a biblical sense about it. See, my principal read the Bible to us when we were in first grade, not because he was trying to make us preachers. He realized, as our founders did, that the starting place for education, come on, is acknowledgement of God, that there's right and that there's wrong. And our culture has thrown that away, and we need to put it back, come on, in the hearts of our kids because they're not going to get it anywhere else. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. <laughs> Let me give you the third point. We've talked about helping my kids know God, know God's Word, And the third one, help my child find God's purpose for their life. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a coach or it's just the little uh, uh, rascals in your neighborhood, God has a purpose for their life. Now let's look at John the Baptist, his mother and his dad. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 8, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. He was a priest. He was on duty. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel said, God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're to name him John, and you will have great joy and gladness. Now, that's an understatement. How many know? For most parents, I know. When you watch your little kids up here, how many know? It warmed your heart, didn't it? Yeah, Jason is adopting two little girls up here, and they're what, three? Three or four. They call him Daddy. They're right there holding that. I love you, Mommy. I want to tell you what. That warms your heart. Uh, day before yesterday, Bethany sent me a, a, a little quick video of a little little girl, uh, Hannah, works in our church, and her little girl, Ava, little girl, can't barely can talk, and they've got her dressed up, and she's got on her first pair of sunglasses, and she's running through the yard, and they want to take her picture, probably the 500th one for the day. 
But they want to take another picture, and they said, say cheese, and this little girl, cheese, cheese. I mean, it just, it does something to you. Well, John the Baptist's parents were getting older. They were beyond the age of childbearing. Come on. They've lived their whole life, and they're going to have great joy. But it doesn't stop there. This is why I'm telling you there's something more important than soccer and grades. You, and many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great in the eyes of the Lord, and this is what's going to make him great. Well, uh, for, Then it says, he'll never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. It was the Nazarite vow set apart to God. But verse 16, this is why people will rejoice. He's going to turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now, you say, well, what did John the Baptist do with his life? He was what's called the forerunner of Christ. He came and announcing Jesus, and Jesus himself said, Of all the people who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's a mouthful, but I suggest to you that John did not become this person on his own. It was not automatic, and it was not arbitrary. It was deliberate because his mom and his dad cultivated the gift of God in his life. They helped this boy become what God had created him to be. Now, these last couple of minutes here, how in the world can we help our children find God's purpose for their life? If God has a purpose for my child, how can I help them? Well, the first thing I, I would say, we want to help our child discern what God's calling is. Now, how many know if an angel appears to you and tells you your kid's going to be great? How many know you, it's, it's pretty clear what he's going to be? I mean, there's an angel showed up, and, and, and this boy has a purpose, and you know it. But just your average kid that loves to play soccer, loves to play ball and get dirty and have fun, I mean, it's not always easy to find what that child's destiny is. I tell you, I'll tell you what we've done as parents. Anytime we'd have a, a pastor come to town or, or if they're particularly spiritually-minded people in our church, whenever we could get our kids to slow down, we'd ask them to pray over our kids. And sometimes someone might have an impression from God. It might be a prophecy. It might be a word of knowledge. It might be a little bit of an inkling. And we would begin to hide these things in our heart. And number two, we would, we would help try to get our kids to experiment in ways of serving the Lord. Some of them, sometimes our kids would go to the nursing home. And true story, some kids will say, Ooh, I don't want to go back there. And other kids would walk out with tears in their eyes. Now, which one do you think might have the gift of mercy? You know, we would take our kids to the homeless shelter, and we would, we would feed the poor. Uh, we'd take our kids on missions trips. John and I would go two or three years, build churches in Mexico and hunt arrowheads. You know, and we would make connections. Linnell takes the girls. She's been going on missions trips with our two girls since they were old enough to get on an airplane. I mean, we've been experimenting with these kids, and whenever we see some kind of gift in their life, we try to nurture it. Uh, for example, uh, Rebecca, she's a child whisperer. I mean, she, you give her a room of, uh, of 15 or 20, 3 and 4-year-olds, and I don't know how she does it, but they're all sitting down and saying, yes, ma'am, to Ms. Rebecca. True story. They threw me in there, and that's exactly what happened. They threw me in with that group of kids, and I lasted about four minutes. And I had to leave. We all said goodbye, and I was glad to leave because I just couldn't make the connection. That's a gift. My son's a numbers guy. Uh, Bethany, is, is a, she's a, a discipler. She was the one that you saw uh, leading the, the kids' choir that was up here. I mean, all of our kids have gifts, and we want to help them explore what the strengths that they have in their life. Now, the second thing that we want to do with them is we want to teach them to be a faithful steward of what God gives them. 1 Peter 4.10, 
It says, whatever gift God has given you, use it as a faithful steward, use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. I want to remind my kids that, that not only do they have abilities, for example, my son was a great soccer player, I'd encourage him, son, when you make a goal or a great pass, lift your, hand, lift your finger to heaven and let everybody know that the Lord is the one that's helping you. See, whatever your kids are good at, remind them that they're going to have to give an account before God. That one day it's not just about going to heaven, but God's going to say, what did I do with what you gave me? So as I help my kids understand their gifts, I want my kids to know that they're going to be responsible before God to answer for those gifts. Let me tell you something else that we've tried to do is we have tried to encourage our kids to live a godly life. Now, you remember the story of John the Baptist? Remember, he was not supposed to drink wine or, or alcoholic drinks. It was called a Nazarite vow, and it was something that people that were set apart to serve the Lord would do. Well, how many know one of the great jobs as a parent is to teach your child the difference between right and wrong? I mean, I, I, I personally, I still believe in saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. I believe that it's courtesy to open the door, but I also believe there's some things that are sinful. Come on. I believe there's modesty in dress, and I believe that there's things that are immodest. I believe there's things that we should watch on TV, and it's time to turn the TV off. You need to teach your children because the world is pulling at your kids. And then every time that you see your kid make a decision that was in the right direction, in other words, one of my kids wouldn't go to the big party after the prom at the lake because everybody was drinking and partying, I want to pat them on the back. I want to say, Dad's very proud of you, and whatever their love language is, come on, you want to put a little love on them because they have just made a good decision. You see, there's power in this idea, and I'm going to close. There's power in your ability to encourage the gifts that are in a young person. When I was about 22 years of age, right in there, I made a decision. I felt God was calling me into full-time ministry. And I had the privilege. I was raised in a, very, in a country in northern Mississippi. And I was raised with a lot of people that were older than me. Both sets of grandparents were there. Uh, I, I had a lady that, that worked. Uh, uh, she helped my mom around the house. And she was also kind of a nanny to me. Her name was Mary. Uh, uh, her husband would milk cows with my dad. And I just had a lot of older people in my life. But I remember when I made a decision that I was going to go into the ministry, I, I told my grandmother, and I called her mama. She immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. Her family was driven out by the Russians. Two of her children were forcibly taken away, conscripted in the Russian army. She never saw them again. They had to come over, leave everything behind, and start over on a turkey farm in, uh, out of New Orleans. So she had a hard life. But when I can remember when I told her, but she was a deeply dedicated Christian deeply dedicated. She was a Lutheran. And I remember telling her that when I was going to be a pastor, tears started coming down her cheeks. And she said, now I understand part of the reason that God allowed me to go through the journey I've gone through so you could be, come on now, you could be what God called you to be. And it was like, she, I, 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 I couldn't preach you, so I couldn't preach my way out of a paper bag. But my grandmother saw something in me and she just pushed me for her. This My nanny, her name was Mary, and I, again, when I'm that age, Mary's gotten older. She's lost most of her hair. It's about that long what's left, and the poor thing had diabetes, and they cut both her legs off above her knees, and she's sitting on the couch, and I remember I went in the couch, and, and uh, I'm telling her, and I said, Mary, I think I'm going to be a preacher, and she literally almost jumped out of the chair, out of the couch, and started walking around the room. Now, mind you now, she's on two nubs, but she said, oh, child, I've been praying for you all your life. And I knew God had a plan for your life. So why am I saying that? 
You can nurture. Come on, you can encourage. You can do more with the fragile, developing gift of a child than you know. And if you can encourage them in their walk with God, you just never know what God might do with that kid. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. I'm going to close with this because the last and most important thing you can do is to pray for your children. And here's how we're going to close the service. I'm going to read a little story. But we'd like to, my wife is going to come and she wants to pray over all the women that are here today. If you're a mother, if you're raising kids or if you've raised kids already or maybe raising somebody else's kids. Maybe you're pregnant or maybe one day you want to be pregnant. We'd like to pray for you. Anybody connected with Mother's Day, gals, just come and slip out of your chair and come to the altar. I want to pray with you and we've got a gift we want to give you. And uh, I want to read you this story as you're coming. That's it. Come on up, girls. We've got something we want to give you. I think you'll like it. But it's a story about a woman whose name is Susanna Wesley. And as you come, try to listen to me as I read, but make, make, you have to get a little tight around the altar here. But if you know this woman named Susanna Wesley, she was the father of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Methodist Church. 35,000 churches worldwide, over 12 million members. Let's get a little closer here as we can as ladies are coming. Let me read you her story. It says, hidden behind the door of many homes is the reality of hardship. Susanna Wesley was married to a preacher. They had ten children, and two grew up to bring millions of souls to Christ. It's a powerful story if you stop there, isn't it? But behind the door of her home, there were hopeless conditions. She married a man who couldn't manage money. They disagreed on everything from money to politics. Listen, ladies, she had 19 children. But worse than that, <laughs> worse than that, nine of them died in infancy. So she's raised in 10. One of her children was crippled. Another couldn't talk until he was almost six. And she was also sick many, many times. There was very little money for food, no money for anything else. Family was plagued with debt. Her husband was once thrown in debtor's prison because their debt was so high. Two times, mind you now, he was a pastor. Two times their homes, their homes they lived in were burned to the ground. They lost everything they owned and it was possible that they didn't like what he was preaching. Someone slit their cow's udders so they wouldn't have milk, kill their dog, burn their flax field. Taking care of the home and raising so many kids made it virtually impossible for anything to have be entertaining or to even have much time with God. But she worked in the garden. She milked the cow, schooled the children, and managed the entire house herself. So she decided to give the Lord two hours a day in prayer. She struggled to find a secret place to get away with him, and she couldn't, so she told her children that when they saw her with an apron over her head, that meant she was in prayer and not to disturb her. She was devoted to her walk with Christ praying for her children and knowledge of the Word of God no matter how hard life was. And in the end, she knew that one day her hard life would be over and she would stand before the throne of God and give an account for how she lived her life. We need to take Susanna's example, flip our apron over our head, and pray in the middle of it all. And now the author, back to the beginning of the story, her sons John and Charles were powerhouses for the glory of the Lord. John Wesley preached to nearly a million people in his day. You think maybe his mom had something to do with that? At the age of 70, he delivered the gospel message to 32,000 people at one time without a microphone. He brought revival everywhere he traveled. 
His brother Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns, many of which we still sing today. And she closes with this thought, the author, hidden behind the door of my home, I want our children to find a mom who prays diligently, no matter how busy or how hard the circumstances. I want to raise up a John Wesley out of our family line. Where's your apron? Would you pray, Lynette? Ladies, what an awesome privilege it is to be a mom. Whether we give birth to these children, whether we just adopt them in our hearts, our nieces and nephews, our neighborhood kids, someone in the church, whether we're a grandmother, it is a great privilege. I'm reminded of the story of Deborah. You know, Deborah in the Bible was the mother. And the scripture says that village life had ceased until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. You know, your neighborhoods may not be safe. Kids may be going crazy around about you. Things may be looking bleak in our country. Things may be hopeless situations. But you can arise a mother. You can arise and have a voice, and you can fight and stand and pray for your children, for your grandchildren, for your nieces and your nephews. You can stand and fight and pray for the children in your neighborhood, the classmates that are in your kids' school. You can. The men weren't doing it. Oh, I didn't say that. It was Deborah, a mother, a mother. My grandmother had five kids. My mom was the middle one. She served God all of her life, married my dad, preached the gospel. But she had four sons, wild and crazy and heathens. My grandfather, back, backslidden Christian, she prayed for him her whole life. My grandfather, the year before he died, got baptized in the church baptistry with my little sister. My, every one of my uncles made decisions for Christ and lived for Christ in their old age. Listen, moms, you make a difference. Don't give up. I had a woman in first service today say, I have not heard from my son in over four years. But on Facebook this morning, I've been praying for him, she said. I've been praying for him. He wrote me, Happy Mother's Day. I love you. This morning. Listen. Listen, ladies. There's no shame. What's done in the past is over and gone. You can decide today how you are going to live your life, the example you're going to be, how you're going to pray, whether you have contact with your children or not. You may not be able to talk to your child, but you can talk to God about your child, and you can pray for them, and you can believe that God is going to do a miracle in their life. I want to pray for you because I want this to be your best Mother's Day yet because it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. You're still alive. You're still well, and you can still pray. You can still stand and fight and believe. But, Lord, I just bless all of these moms here, all of the women up here, whether they have given birth to children, whether they have adopted children in their lives, their foster moms, whether they're pregnant. God, whatever reasons, the aunts that are up here, that you would bless them today, that you would let them know how important they are in these children's lives and helping shape the next generation. I pray for all of the grandmothers out there 
that are praying for their grandchildren, Lord, that they would not give up, that they would not stop, they would not quit because their grandkids need them in their lives. Lord, I pray this would be a good day, a day filled with your peace, a day filled with your joy. There would be no condemnation. There would be no regrets, but they would choose to live today and from here forward, living a life that pleases you and that is a godly example to the kids around about them. I pray you bless them today. Provide for them. Be good to them. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I want you to know, grandmas, you can even pray for the babies yet to come. I want you to know this says, all you need is love and Lonnie. I'm praying. I am praying for my little grandbaby yet to be born. I am praying for the grandchildren yet to come in my kids' lives because they need a praying grandmother. And I'm going to be that, and I'm going to be the one that gets up in the middle of the night to pray for my grandkids because they're going to serve the Lord. They have a future and a destiny. God bless you all. We have a gift to give you. Happy Mother's Day. The best job in the whole wide world. Here's some gifts um, to just say thank you and that we love you.